But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Streams of Water Bible Study podcast after having a couple weeks off. Andy, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. Hopefully, we'll be able to get right back into it. It feels like it's been a really, really long time, but just just off a couple weeks, and um, I'm happy to to get back into Micah and to kind of get back in the mindset of of talking about this uh, great, great minor prophet. So looking forward to it. Yeah, Micah chapter 4, we're going to kind of shift from where we've been in the first three chapters. Uh, so looking forward to that conversation. And really, a, a lot's happened over the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot, lot's been going on. I I uh, actually just got back uh, to Cape Cod um, from visiting family down in uh, Tennessee. So I was on a plane early at 5.15 uh, a.m. Ye- yesterday, so... Um, I'm happy to be back. It was good, good visiting family and just all sorts of other stuff. We just hadn't been able to um, get on the pod. What's been new with you, man? Well, I was thankful that school finally wrapped up. It seemed like this semester went on forever. <laughs> um, last weekend, we got to go and watch my sister graduate from high school. and She's going to be going to Free Hardman in the, vo- in the fall and following in our footsteps, Andy. So, um, excited about that yeah. and uh, excited about all that, that she has planned. But, you know, other than getting papers done and doing some final exams that I procrastinated till the last minute, uh, just the, the normal daily grind, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm thankful for and uh, glad that we were able to fit this back into our schedule. That our schedules were able to align so that we could get on here and record another episode. Yeah, me too. The stars have a line. We're back at it. All is all is right in the world. I know everybody was. I know everybody was just desperate to to hear another another episode of the Streams of Water podcast. <laughs> that's but, right. That's right. Waiting in great anticipation. For I know. Of chapter four. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, well, let's go ahead and get into chapter four, Andy. We talked a little bit before we uh, started recording. Um, in Micah chapter four, we're going to kind of shift just a little bit in themes and outlook from where we've been in the first three chapters. The first three chapters have kind of been defined by judgment and destruction and captivity and death. In Micah chapter four, we're going to find a different message. Do you want to kind of introduce that theme to us that we're going to see? Yeah, to, I think to really think about it, um, we have to we have to go back a little bit to the end of chapter three, where, as you're talking about, Micah is um, proclaim, proclaiming this warning, this message of judgment and uh, destruction. And if you'll remember, uh, kind of the end of chapter three in verse uh, 12, he's talking about how uh, because of the evil of the people, because of their wickedness, um, Jerusalem essentially is going to be destroyed. Zion is going to be plowed as a field. Um, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. So basically, they're going to be 
cut down, torn down, you know, even the mountain's going to, you know, be become a wooded height. And then chapter four, we get this contrast, this vision of hope. And, and really this, this passage, um, uh, one through one through seven, really, of chapter four, to me, is, is my favorite passage in Micah. Really a beautiful passage. We see a parallel to it in um, Isaiah chapter uh, two. But after after chapters three vision of, OK, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Uh, the mountain's going to be uh, basically cut down. There is a vision of of restoration, of renewal, where um the mountain of the Lord is going to be established once more. Jerusalem is going to be this, uh, you know, light to the nations. The, the people are going to gather to it. And there's going to be this great picture of peace after violence and destruction and chaos. And so um, this would have been, I think, really encouraging um, to Micah's original readers uh, and also to us. So that after, after judgment comes this promise of, of hope. Right. It's a very balanced message. And you see that throughout the entire book of Micah, where you're uh, switching back and forth through phases of judgment to phases of prosperity and messages of destruction to messages of renewal. And uh, we're going to be, I think, blessed in here in Micah chapter four to read about this message of restoration and renewal. That's not just about uh, from Andy and, and my perspective, this is not just about what's going to happen whenever the people of Judah return back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. But it also points forward to what Jesus is going to do in his coming kingdom. And so hopefully we'll be able to draw some parallels between what Micah says here, which is very, it's in, that's interesting to me that in Isaiah chapter two, you find a very similar promise with two of them being contemporaries of each other. You have two different prophets preaching the same message. And uh, here we're going to see a message that's not just about Judah, uh, but a message that's also about Jesus and what Jesus is ultimately going to do as the Messiah. Um, so do we want to go ahead and read the whole chapter, Andy, and then kind of walk back through it? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, well, I will take the first seven verses and then I'll leave you the rest. All right, sounds good. Micah chapter 4, verse number 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be list, lifted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the people walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, 
and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? The pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled. Let our gaze, eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. That he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote the gain, their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. All right. Um, one thing I can appreciate about the book of Micah is that the chapters aren't very long. <laughs> so maybe our... Uh, Maybe we're not just thankful for that, Andy, but our uh, those who are listening are probably thankful for that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd take us a while to get through it if the chapters were a little bit longer. That's right. Uh, but here we have in Micah chapter 4 and verse 1 that we're looking forward to the latter days. We're looking forward to the future. And he talks about something that is going to come to pass, something that God is going to do and all nations are going to be involved in this. Andy, what? What in the world is he talking about in the first five verses uh, where he's saying that uh, the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to be established as the highest of the mountains and all people shall flow to it? What are we talking about there? Because that's that really wasn't fulfilled when when the people of Judah came back from captivity to Jerusalem. We really don't see all of this being fulfilled just in that restored nation. And as they rebuild the city of Jerusalem or in the intertestamental period. So what are we talking about here? Yeah. I mean, I would, I, you know, reading the old Testament through the lens of uh, what we see in the new Testament, trying to see uh, Jesus as a fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. I think, I think this is talking about the establishment of, uh, Christ's kingdom when he came uh, to to the earth and establishment the establishment of, of his people uh, the church that through uh, the remnant of Israel and Judah starting in Jerusalem uh, starts this uh, great movement of of, uh, of Christianity um, that um, all peoples are drawn and called into uh, God's kingdom through what Jesus has uh, done. So I would understand this as being uh, Christ's kingdom uh, being established. And I think you can parallel that with uh, Daniel 2's prophecy about, you know, a stone that's going to come in and basically de destroy this, this statue of all the earthly kingdoms. It's the stone's going to become a mountain. I think we got, we have similar uh, imagery there. And of course that was talking again about Jesus Christ. Uh, as well, and how he is he is setting up a kingdom that is uh, that surpasses any earthly kingdom, any uh, fleshly reign, and he is the true king, 
and his kingdom is about drawing all people in. It's a kingdom of peace. Um, it's a kingdom of, of righteousness where um, uh, God's word and God's law goes forth. It, it starts in Jerusalem and, and spreads out. And, you know, we see a lot of uh, imagery here um, of what Israel was supposed to be, um, this kind of city on a hill, light of the world, um, reaching out to the nations, being the light to the nations. And I think Micah's promise is that's going to come. God's not given up on that plan. And from our perspective, we're looking at this and saying, you know, this is what God did working through, working through the remnant, working through uh, Judah, but bringing through them uh, Jesus into the world so that Jesus could establish uh, this great kingdom. I think it's kind of neat parallels whenever you go over to Acts chapter two and you see uh, what I believe to be in that chapter, the day when the Lord's kingdom was established on earth. For instance, you know, this talks about um, that it's going to take place in Jerusalem, that the word is going to come from Jerusalem and out of Zion shall go forth the law. Well, where the apostles gathered on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, they're gathered in Jerusalem. You go back to Acts chapter one and verse eight, where was the proclamation of the gospel going to start? It was going to start in Jerusalem and ultimately go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here it talks about how all nations are going to come to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Well, what do you have in Acts chapter 2? You have Jews from every nation under heaven, the text says, coming and hearing what Peter has to say, and then 3,000 of them obeying the gospel and being added to the body of believers. And of course, when you continue reading throughout the book of Acts and uh, you see Gentiles eventually added to that kingdom, which I think is one of the main themes that we see in this prophecy here of what Micah is talking about, that when he says this, this mountain of the house of the Lord, it's going to be the highest. It's going to be the greatest. It's going to be uh, the highest of the mountains and lifted up above the hills and the nations the people are going to flow to it. You know, there might have been some in uh, the nation of Judah who really didn't like to hear that message because, you know, we are, we are God's people. We are his chosen people. And, and you're telling us that one day all people are going to come to our city and they're going to claim our God. And even more importantly, our God is going to claim them. Uh, there have been some people who would have directly stood opposed to that but yet many nations he says will come and have the opportunity to hear God's ways and to have the opportunity to walk in God's path when they hear the word announced in Jerusalem and he kind of talks about in in three and four about what this kingdom is going to look like and Andy it's it's words that you used just a moment ago uh, he talks about how Peace in verse three is going to exist. And I think when he mentions the vine and the fig tree, he's talking about prosperity, not just peace, but it's also going to be a prosperous kingdom. So uh, what else would you have to say about about that, about how peace and prosperity are going to be uh, major parts of this kingdom? Yeah, that... Um... That imagery is just so uh, striking and powerful, isn't it? You know, the um, you're you're beating your short swords into plowshares, your spears into pruning hooks. Um, 
you know, it basically they are, you know, they're changing, you know, in their weapons of war for, uh, for, for gardening tools, essentially, you know, and, and what um, was once used for destruction, what was once used for violence is now uh, turned into instruments of flourishing and life and, and peace. And, um, you know, this, this uh, imagery in verse four about every man under his vine and under his fig tree, that is a um, image that's used throughout the prophets. We see that uh, many times as this idea of, as you said, uh, prosperity, there's an abundance. Uh, there is more than enough uh, for everyone. Uh, there's not this idea of, of scarcity. And it, it makes re- really makes me think about, you know, this Garden of, of Eden ideal of, you know, there's, there's more than enough um, with, um, as we're walking with God in his presence, uh, there's this picture of life and vitality and and peace and abundance and that's that's essentially what um god is promising to establish in this in this future future kingdom so i don't know what else what else do you think should be added there tyler yeah i like that one one good reference for uh, that phrase you mentioned under his vine and under his fig tree first kings 4 and verse 25 says that judah and israel lived in safety from dan even to beersheba every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. So, you know, even back hundreds of years before this, you have this phrase being used to talk about a prosperous, safe, peaceful situation where no one is going to be afraid. Um, I love the end of verse four that we can know these things are going to take place. We can be sure about these things. How? Well, because the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. He has told us these things. And so he he continues into verse five and says, you know, the, the pagans, there will be people who will continue to uh, live in rebellion against God, and they're going to continue to serve their own gods. But he says what we're going to do, God has spoken, and what we're going to do is walk in his name, to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So I think a beautiful depiction of uh, what we see in Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom he's established and the kingdom that we're able to be a part of. But Andy, you were also mentioning about, and you might want to mention a little bit here about how this perhaps even has a view towards eternity and when the kingdom uh, comes in its fullness. Yeah, I I think so. I, I kind of um, you know, I don't know for sure. I could, I could be persuaded or convinced otherwise. But to me, you know, the this picture of, uh, you know, nation not lifting up sword against nation, perfect peace, and not going to learn war anymore. It doesn't really seem like the reality that we're living in right now. Even though uh, we fully believe that the kingdom has been established, that um, the church is um, is is here. God is is reigning. Jesus is King. Believe all of that. Um, the Gentiles are welcomed in, but I think, you know, this is, this is a picture of, this is a picture of what it looks like when people right now are truly uh, walking in the name of God, truly obeying God, part of his kingdom. We are a people of peace. We are a people of um, um, prosperity, not always in the in the sense of, you know, physical wealth, but there is, uh, should be generosity and abundance among us. But I, I think this is also a, 
a picture of what the eternal kingdom is going to look like. The new Jerusalem is going to look like the new heavens and, and new earth um, when, when Jesus comes uh, again. And, and I think, you know, the way that Jesus often talks about his kingdom, the way that it's often talked, talked about in the new Testament, it's, um, it's like live right now um, as if, you know, you, the eternal reality has come because in a sense it has. And that's part of the, Christian paradox, you know, some scholars call it, you know, the already not yet kind of idea, you know, it's here, the kingdom's here, but in a sense, it's also not here. So I think, you know, there's, there's something to think about um, there. And then also want to wanted to comment on uh, verse five, which you were talking about, which, as you said, just a lovely verse, wonderful uh, verse. And I think verse five is really highlighting um, how God's kingdom is defined, because uh, for a Jewish mindset, for the, an Israelite mindset, uh, God's kingdom is defined by uh, physical Israel, by, um, you know, the, these ethnic boundary lines. But in this vision that Micah is giving, um, you know, all nations are invited into it. And so what's the defining factor of those in this kingdom? It's those in this new kingdom, they walk in the name of the of our the Lord our God, the true God. That's what that is the defining um, factor of 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 God's future kingdom that's that's promised to come. Is uh, God is King and God is is Lord, and and we would say Jesus is Lord, and that's what defines us uh, now as as God's kingdom uh, on this earth today. Is those who are part of it are those who trust in Jesus as Lord and, and walk in the name of the Lord uh, in, as opposed to, to all the gods of the, of the nations. I think that's well said. Um, so as we continue forward into verse 6, uh, he continues to, with this in, in the same vein of restoration and renewal, and he talks about how I think, you know, we could get caught up in the first five verses talking about, you know, looking forward, reading into what we see in Jesus' kingdom and what Jesus has done and ultimately what Jesus is going to do. But we can't forget how God worked through the nation of Judah in order to bring Jesus into the world and so that Jesus could establish this kingdom that we're able to be a part of, not only here, but also when it comes in its fullness in eternity. And so he talks about, remember, we're in the first three chapters, we've been saying that the people of Judah are going to be taken into captivity, into Babylonian captivity, and Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. Well, God talks about in verse 6 that he's going to have a remnant that he's going to bring back. And this remnant is not going to be who you typically think it would be. I mean, Andy, if, if you were to preserve a remnant, you would... Uh, at least I would, Andy. I don't know about you. I don't know why I'm speaking on your behalf. But <laughs> I would I would want to have the best. I would want to have the strongest. I would want to have the mightiest. I'd want to have uh, those who are in authority. And God really in verse 6, verse 7 says, that's, that's not what I'm going to do. He talks about how he's going to assemble the lame, those who have been driven away, those who have been afflicted. And uh, they are going to be this remnant. They're, they were once cast off into captivity, people 
who went through a great amount of pain and people who went through a great amount of difficulty, people who were beaten down, but those who were cast off are going to become a strong nation and ultimately lead to this kingdom where, like you said a minute ago, the Lord is king, Jesus is king, and we submit our lives to him. Yeah, I think that's well well said. And, um, you know, this is the way that God often works in the world, right? He chooses what is weak. He chooses what is, what is lowly, what is unexpected to uh, show himself to be strong, to show himself to be glorious, to, so that he gets the credit, you know. And, you know, of course, it hasn't happened at this moment. But when Babylonian captivity and destruction does come in, in 586 B.C., this is a... I mean, this is a hopeless, horrifying moment for for Judah, for God's people, and uh, this is this is just uh, horrifying. And God's promising, I'm not I'm not giving up on you. You know, even though uh, this is this is what this is the path you've chosen to go down, even though you deserve this just uh, punishment, I'm still not giving up on my people. I'm going to gather this remnant together. I'm going to bring you back to Zion and, and through what I'm going to do, I'm going to, this is all part of my plan. I'm going to preserve you and eventually going to establish uh, my kingdom through this remnant. And again, from our perspective, you know, God preserves his people. He brings them back uh, to, to Jerusalem, brings them back um, to Israel so that um, the people are preserved so that the Messiah can come into the world and establish uh, this kingdom. So uh, really, again, just beautiful, a beautiful picture of what uh, God does for his um, for his sinful, uh, rebellious people. He doesn't give up on them. Um, he, he gathers them back in and um, makes them a strong people once again. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and this is a plan that's uh, we um, saw this a little bit earlier in verse five, but this is a plan that uh, he says extends to forever. You know, this is not something that has an expiration date on it, but yet something that will be filled into the ages. Um, well said, I think continuing into uh, verse eight, verse nine, verse 10, um, he continues, of course, to address those in the nation of Judah. He says in verse 8, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship, for the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, Andy, what do you think uh, Micah is com- wanting to communicate there? Yeah, again, I think he is, uh, my understanding of this verse is he's, again, pointing forward to this time where um, the 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 essentially Judah is going to be wiped out, uh, they're going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be uh, taken down. Uh, their their king's going to be taken away. Uh, we see that play out in in Judah's history, and so I think he's pointing forward to this really real really difficult time. But he's also saying. You know, I've a pro- I've promised to establish, you know, David's throne forever. You know, this the sons of of the lineage of of David to to provide put a king in Israel. You know, so I'm not going to leave you without a king forever. 
I think that's kind of the idea here. When when the Babylonian captivity comes, again, there's going to be this sense of utter desperation and hopelessness. We've got no king. We've got no city. We've got no uh, nation anymore. Um, but I think what Micah, God, is promising through the prophet Micah is that, yes, what is coming is going to be a difficult, difficult, painful time. It's going to be like uh, a woman in labor is the image that he is using just the 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 pain of that the difficulty of that but on the other side of that there's going to be uh this new birth this new creation this new kingdom essentially that's coming through the darkness and pain of exile and god's again not given up on his people so um, that's how i understand uh this verse i think we see that in verse 10 you know, you shall go to Babylon, but there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. So in this moment in Israel's history, Judah's history, uh, where they're going to be without hope, without a king, uh, God is going to work through that difficult situation. And he is going to provide a renewal, a restoration, and is going to provide a king that's going to reign uh, forever and ever. So that's how it, I would understand it. And again, obviously uh, seeing that fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah, India, you're right. I think this ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. You know, when you go back in verse 9, verse 10, as you were talking about, it's going to be a really painful thing for uh, the people of Judah to go through. He talks about writhing. He talks about groaning. He, Like you said, as you pointed out, he uses the picture of a woman in labor, a woman who, uh, of course, I, I always tell Leslie, if if it had to be me going through that, there wouldn't be any kids in the world uh, because of how painful <laughs> it actually is. Uh, yeah, she, she, she knows that. I, anytime the conversation comes up, that's a comment that I'm going to make. Um, <laughs> but yet uh, it leads to something beautiful that – even though they're going to go through this really painful experience and they're going to writhe and groan like a woman in labor, when the woman gives birth to the child, all of the pain is forgotten and uh, able to uh, have that child and uh, grow in relationship with that child uh, as, you know, for the rest of uh, the mother's life is the way that we think it typically works out. Uh, he talks about you're going to go into Babylon and this is going to be really painful, but it's there that you're going to be rescued and it's there that you're going to be redeemed. And so something painful and something hard actually turns out to be beautiful because the Lord is the one working behind it to carry out his purposes. I mean, it, I, I think that's something that's encouraging in our lives that the I, I don't think the Lord has stopped doing that, taking painful experiences and producing from them in his sovereignty and his providence, something that is absolutely beautiful. Definitely. It is really, that was really well said. And, and, you know, I think we have, can have confidence that God is still doing that in our lives because of what God did with Jesus. And it's interesting that, you know, this is the way this uh, image of childbearing of labor pains, this is how Jesus talks about, his death and his resurrection uh, to his disciples in John 16, right, be right before he's about to die, he sees that his disciples are troubled uh, because of the way that Jesus is talking. They're, they're troubled because they, they're starting to, 
to get what's about to happen, that Jesus is going to, to die. And, you know, Jesus uses this, uh, this very similar image of what we see here in Micah of, you know, this is going to be painful, uh, like a woman giving birth. But when, when the woman, that mother sees her child, she forgets that pain because of the joy of a, of a, of a new life uh, in the world. And Jesus essentially is saying, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what my death and resurrection is going to be like. Right now, you're going to have, have sorrow, but I'm going to triumph over death. I'm going to triumph over this pain, triumph over this sin. And, I'm going to, and what I'm going to do with my resurrection life is going to, is going to provide you a joy that uh, can't be taken away from you. Um, and so, you know, if, if God can, and work, can work that through Jesus on the cross, through the ugliest moment in history, the darkest moment in history, and bring about new life and joy from that, I think that's what gives us confidence that God is doing that and can do it, can do that in our lives as well. So really encouraging uh, passage that would have been encouraging for, um, for Micah and his audience, but also I think uh, for us as well, as we, again, look, look through um, the, the lens of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, that's the ultimate example of this, uh, that the, um, I'm glad you brought that up, the death, the pain that Jesus went through um, is, is something that leads to the glorious resurrection. The pain leads to joy. The pain leads to hope on uh, the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. So in 11, 12, and 13, as we close out this chapter, we're going to focus in on these nations who are assembled against Judah, uh, those who are going to fight against Judah and uh, who are saying to Judah, let her be defiled, let our gaze be upon Zion. They're looking to attack. They're looking to conquer. But verse 12 says they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand God's plan. See, they, they think that they're just coming in their strength and conquering another nation and looting them of what they have and destroying their city to the Babylonians who would have walked into Jerusalem, who would have walked into Judah. This was just another people group conquered. Uh, but they didn't understand what the Lord was doing through this, that we've been saying throughout this entire chapter, this is going to lead to a remnant of those who are lame and those who have been taken away. And that remnant is ultimately going to produce this kingdom that all nations are going to come to. Of course, the Babylonians didn't know that. They didn't know what the Lord had planned through what was happening. And what's pointed out specifically here in verse 11 that they didn't understand is what God is ultimately going to do to them, that they have been gathered as sheaves to the threshing floor. Uh, and so Judah receives the command, arise and thresh. They're going to be as if uh, a people group, as if their horns have become like iron and uh, their hooves have become like bronze, really strong metals. And he says, these people who are going to take you into captivity, you're going to beat into pieces and you're going to take the, th the they're coming to take things from you. Well, actually, you're going to take from them and dedicate that to the Lord. Uh, so destruction is coming, like we said just a few moments ago. This judgment is going to come, 
But ultimately, God's people are going to be victorious in this. Um, and also highlighted here is the ignorance of uh, God's enemies. Again, just so applicable in our lives that we have things that wage war against us. Uh, and, but ultimately, because God has revealed his plan to us about what's going to happen at the end of the ages, about what's going to happen at the end of times, because we're not ignorant of that, we know that one day we're going to be victorious over all of those enemies in a place where there will be no disease or death, uh, but in a place where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So again, just really, I mean, applicable stuff. Uh, when you think about the outlook of Judah to our outlook today, uh, it makes us, should make us grateful, I think, for all those blessings that we have in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you said it really well. And, um, you know, there is a contrast here. And, you know, the earlier part of the chapter, there's this uh, idea of, you know, all the all the nations being gathered in to learn God's ways to um, to to be a part of his kingdom. That's what God wants for all nations, for the whole world is to uh, walk according to his ways, to 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 live in peace, to live in uh, his path, according to his uh, law. Um, in, in his generosity and prosperity and abundance. But for those who set themselves against God and his kingdom and his people, this is the, this is the fate that's going to come. And um, I think this would have been, as you're saying, this would have been comforting for Micah's original audience because um, as we talked about on the podcast before with Habakkuk and other, other books is that, you know, as you're looking at some of these nations that they're facing, like Assyria and, and Babylon, it, they, they look um, mighty and formidable, formidable and unchallengeable. And I think what the idea we get here is that, you know, no earthly kingdom is going to last. If, you know, all those, all those earthly kingdoms that set themselves up against God, um, God's going to destroy them. And not only that, but he's going to use their evil for his purposes and his plan, even though they don't see it, they don't recognize it, but they're not going to last uh, forever. And again, like you said, very relevant for our day, you know, there's, there's nations that seem very wicked, very powerful. Um, but the only kingdom that's going to last is God's kingdom is the, is the people that, that trust in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever and every every other kingdom is going to be going to be destroyed and so i think we can see those those themes uh here um that um, are applicable uh, to to how we understand and see the world today yeah a chapter that's that is all about uh god all about what god is going to do on behalf of his people and and really uh, what we've been suggesting what god has done for us in the kingdom that we're able to be a part of in Jesus and the kingdom that we're looking forward to in eternity. Um, thankful to see how that works itself out in this chapter in the nation of Judah, in our lives, to see how this is applicable and relevant. Um, we'd like to offer a challenge as we come to the end of Micah chapter 4 uh, for the next week before we Look forward to going into Micah chapter 5. Uh, Andy, I think you have that challenge for us today. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, w- I want to reflect a little bit on um, um, verse five, which we've talked about several times already. But this idea of we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You know, I you know I assume that a lot of people um, listening are a part of God's uh, kingdom. They've been added to the church. They're part of His people and hopefully we would define ourselves by this phrase you know we walk in the name of the lord our god um now but also we we want to do that in eternity but i want us to think about what does that what does that look like in in your life to walk in the name of the lord our god to to represent the name of jesus to to say that jesus is lord i mean anyone can say that but what does it look like to walk in the name of the Lord. And I think maybe we can, we can look to some of the things in chapter four uh, to see what our lives uh, should look like in that we're people of peace, we're people of generosity, that through us, people see God's instruction and God's ways. We are that um, light on the hill, you know, from us, you know, uh, goes forth the law. I think we can, we can make a application there that, um, through us, people see God's light and instruction in, in way. So, I uh, think about what that, um, what that, what that means, and um, what what that might look like in your life um, to walk in the name of the Lord uh, your God. Um, so, I want us to all reflect on that, and it just makes me think about um, Jesus's prayer and, and what we call the Lord's prayer. Sometimes, you know, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, obviously, you know, from our perspective, as we've talked, we've talked about the kingdom has already come. The kingdom has been established, but I can, I think we can still pray the part of the prayer that is, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we the kind of people that, that are uh, a part of this kingdom and living this way and inviting people in of all nations uh, to this way of life of of peace and trust under God's uh, rule and reign. So, um, kind of a lengthy challenge there, but um, I just want everybody to reflect on that and try to think about what that might look like in your life, and, and perhaps pray that prayer alongside of Jesus as well. Yeah, it's not just something that's said; it's not just something that's claimed in being a part of the Lord's kingdom, but it's something that has to be lived. It's something that has to be authentic and daily as we think about uh, living for Jesus and being who he wants us to be. Andy, I appreciate that challenge. Appreciate your insight into Micah chapter four and uh, looking forward to next week as we go into Micah chapter five. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you for your thoughts and for kind of guiding our discussion. And um, I'm looking forward to, to next week as well. Lord willing. To our audience, we want to thank you, too. We want to thank you for bearing with us and being a part of this study. We hope that this has been a blessing in your life as it's been a blessing in our lives. We hope that you have a great week. May we all walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Thank you for listening to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. 
or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.